Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Jim Rats and Joints. Hosted by Javon Shepard, Andy Routens, and Dan Gladman. With producer Dan Wong and me, Jeff Cole. Brought to you by Henderson's Brewery. The best beer is the beer you love. Let's rack it up, Danny G. All right, thank you so much. And I am beyond delighted and happy today to be a part of this podcast. It's something I've always wanted to do, literally since I was a child. I wanted to do radio and talk sports with my friends. And now I get to do that on uh, Gym Rats and Joints. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Dan Gladman. You might know me uh, from The Hangout, a former show on NBA TV Canada, which I uh, co-founded and worked on with my good friend, Akil Augustine. Sometimes you might have heard Jack Armstrong saying, rack it up, Danny G on T- uh, Raptors on TSN. That was me in a former life. And now I find myself in a scenario with some amazing friends and some young talent coming out of Toronto, Canada, and uh, we're so happy to be doing this podcast. I'm going to start by going to these guys. They were both born 1986, the year I had my bar mitzvah, and (laughs) here we are now doing a podcast together. So I will start out (laughs) (laughs) out of the University of Michigan, Javon Shepard. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Am I on the mic? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm just excited to be here with you guys, man. I, this is something that, you know, Danny and I, we spoke about for, you know, some months now, just being able to get involved, um, getting the media side of things and just, just enjoy the sport of basketball from another angle, right? Like, you've been a player for so long, but now to sit back and just be a fan, enjoy it, and, and just, just shoot the shit with you guys, man. <laughs> well, you're an analyst now, and you've been doing uh, games on CBC and CBC Gem for the Canadian Elite Basketball League, the CBL, and we will talk about that more. Tell me uh, a little bit more about your, your career as a basketball player. Uh, you know what? It was it, it's, it was an interesting career, up and down, really up and down. But I'm extremely grateful for it. I've, I've had a, a lot of time to just experience new things, new perspectives. Um, had a great high school career here at West Hill Collegiate. Went on to the University of Michigan before shitting the bed there. <laughs> you, but, you played in the NCAA tournament played, though, and uh, a couple attorney. of us here that would have been our dream. Played in the tourney. Um, Yes, right. Circumstantial. Um, you know, played 11, 10 years with the, the Canadian national team, which, you know, guys like Andy Routens, Jermaine Anderson, Joel Anthony, these guys became my brother th- brothers through that whole, um, you know, through my tenure there. And then after that, where did I go? I went on to Europe, 11 year career in Europe, which was absolutely amazing, man. I think that experience comp- opened my mind up to you know just the world like exposed not only myself but my family just to to experience the world from from a different lens and if i never had that experience i don't know who the hell i would be today at all like i would be probably stuck in still stuck in scarborough stuck in malvern somewhere and and you know 
even my family, like just for, for them to have the experience that meant more to me than, you know, any amount of money you could potentially make in, in the NBA. So nice. it, was, it was, it was, you know, a, a lot of wealth, wealth of knowledge, wealth of knowledge and, and experience. Good. So. Well, I think uh, we're thrilled to have you here talking about this. Great to see you on the mic instead <laughs> of on the court. And uh, I think you and along with this other guy have uh, an enormous future in Canadian sports broadcasting. And, you know, I think as, as we go along with this podcast over the weeks and months to come, uh, we'll, we'll draw on your experiences there and talk about it. Now, out of Syracuse, Andy Routens. Yes, sir. Thank you for the How you doing? doing well. <laughs> tell, tell us... <laughs> so so many of Mike us already. <laughs> so many of us in Canada remember you playing at Syracuse with the Syracuse Orange, like your dad Leo Routens before you. Yeah. Um, like so many players over the decades, and, and kind of a I don't know if I want to call it a golden age of college basketball, but I mean I grew up watching Syracuse, mm-hmm. Sherman Douglas, Pearl Washington, Derek Coleman. Lawrence Moton, I mean, just a, a great history of basketball there. Talk a little bit as you introduce yourself about your time there as a player and what you did in the years since as a professional. Uh, Andy Routens here, uh, former Syracuse University graduate. Um, shared a lot of the same experiences as Shep, 11-year pro, played overseas. I got to dabble in the NBA for dip my toe in that water for a year. Um but Syracuse is one of the most winningest programs of all time. Uh, Jim Beheim is, is leading that charge. Uh, excellent coach. Um, not very personable, but one of my favorite people. <laughs> I probably had four conversations. Suck it, Beheim. Suck it. Not at all. Not at all. No. Really? I don't, I don't co-sign that, but yeah. Um, uh, he's just about his business, and, and, uh, and it shows um, from the way he sets the schedules to um, how he interacts with his players, what he expects from them. Um, and he has the most 20-win seasons of uh, – he's up there at the top, I think, with Dean Smith and, uh, and elite company, Coach Krzyzewski. So, um, but it was a pleasure to play for him. I was super grateful for the opportunity. I don't know that I would have gotten it if, uh, if, if it wasn't for Tiki Maven not passing his SAT. <laughs> no, no lies. Uh, I was, I was, uh, was going to commit to Providence wow. the night before. And then wow. I got a call from – Bernie Fine, which was uh, the assistant coach at Syracuse at the time, poor, poor, poor guy. The, the entire story is it's kind of a mess. I'm sure yeah. the basketball world's pretty familiar yes. with it, but Bernie's one of my favorite people, and he gave me that that opportunity, um, and and I wound up committing that that next day. Um, I had to call Coach Welsh at Providence and say, "Sorry, you know, I got the opportunity. This is my dream school." And uh, but yeah, so. To have that experience there, it was it was a long road, and a lot of people thought, you know, it was just because of my dad, which is which is fair. I can understand the optics of it. I wasn't the most highly touted high school basketball player, um, but I worked my way up. I worked my way to uh, to starting by by my junior year, and 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 uh, we went to number one by my senior year, and it was an incredible experience. You know, playing in front of thirty five thousand people against the Villanovas, the Georgetowns. Uh, the Yukons. The Yukons. The Yukons. Yeah, yes, sir. You beat all those guys, but but not Butler. But not. I'm still crushed. Butler. I still have <laughs> nightmares about it. Cold sweats. Yeah. It's just seeing just seeing uh, Gordon Hayward's face. It's, it's, it's very bothersome to me. But suck it, Hayward. Suck it. Hayward. <laughs> he, he called, point he guard. Who's the point guard though? Uh, what's that? Who's the point guard of Butler? I think it was Ronald Norad. If I'm not confused, Norad. Uh, maybe that's not his first name. 
think he's coaching for he's coaching yeah. first uh, Charlotte. Okay, he's coaching in Charlotte. Okay. I, I believe is this, if it's the same guy I'm thinking of. Yeah, he's coaching I mean, in lockdown Charlotte. defender. Like they 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 scouted me uh, to a T. They they scouted my left coming off the left side of his screen to shoot the ball. What percentage I was versus coming <laughs> off the right side, and uh, you have to give it to their program. And um, they were very well prepared. Uh, but yeah, that's still a nightmare for me, for sure. Yeah, well, and their coach Brad Stevens Brad is now Stevens. in the NBA yeah. coaching the Celtics, and reason, yeah. he's he's probably considered one of the uh, the yeah, best well, young coaches in the yeah, world sure. today. I think any NBA team yeah. would want to have him. And you know, uh, that was the year I think it, you were looking at a possible Syracuse Duke championship game, which is yes. a game I've been waiting to yeah. see my whole life as a basketball fan. Um, you're, you're going to get on this podcast a lot of some hardcore basketball, like like you just gave us there. You know, a team scouting you coming off the left and possibly being effective. You know, we're going to talk basketball, but we're also going to be talking about the lifestyle, the life of being involved in basketball. And Shep and Andy have lived the life as professional players. I've been covering the NBA for 20 years as a professional television producer. Before that, if if you knew anybody from my teenage years, um, I was just a hoops junkie. I was not a good player by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> but, man, do I love the sport of basketball going back to age 13. And I studied it as a child. Um <laughs> As I would have as a professional. So here we are all today. And a couple more people to shout out before we really get into the hearts of the matter. Uh, Dan Wong, our producer extraordinaire. We are so lucky to have him. You'll hear his voice popping in and out because he's kind of going to be a lot of the comic relief. <laughs> that, that's what I bring. to. Um, that's all I bring to any table. <laughs> comic relief. That's about it. There's no uh, sageness, wisdom, or gravitas here. So we don't leave that gravitas. at the door. Leave that at the door. Yeah, gravitas is left out at the door. We, we are thrilled to have Dan uh, Eggplant Studio, uh, who's associated with this. We're actually out of Dan's home studio right now, as we all kind of still deal with the COVID-19 crisis. Also, Jeff Cole, our voiceover guy, we are so happy to have him as well. Okay, now we know who everybody is. We're already, I don't know, 10 minutes in. Now let's actually get to some basketball. And I think the the great thing as we head into August. I can't believe July's over. But the NBA started up again with two games on Thursday night. Uh, New Orleans Pelicans fell short against Utah Jazz and then in a game that kept me up later than I wanted to, the, the Lakers edged the Clippers. Andy, let, let, let's start with you. What, what kind of uh, takeaways did you have from, from the restart opening night? And I'm not just talking about what happened in the games, but things that you saw on the court. Black Lives Matter all over the court. Players arm-in-arm arm kneeling for the anthem. Instead of last names on the back of the jersey, so, social messaging. To me, the NBA is literally changing America and the world right now. But wh- why don't we talk about that? I mean, just the platform that they have and what they're doing with it is outstanding. Uh, you know, they're heading the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, it was a very, very powerful moment seeing those guys locked in arms, kneeling before the game started. <clears throat> I mean, that gave me goosebumps. Um, just to see the solidarity for the movement and, uh, you know, using that platform for good is is outstanding. And, you know, the names on the back of the jerseys, I can understand why some guys would keep their name. I can understand why some guys would have a phrase. To me, the bigger athletes... Uh, know their impact already so the guys like LeBron Kawhi 
Um, but for the guys who don't have as much of a platform, I, I like that they have a message for the world. Um, but it's outstanding. You know, takeaways from the game itself, it felt, it, it didn't feel like real basketball. It felt more like a video game in a Interesting. sense. You know, uh, with the digital fans, uh, you know, the space, you could hear more uh, from the players. Um, but it's still basketball, which I loved. And, and the guys were competitive. They looked a bit like they were still knocking the rust off. But uh, to see basketball back in action and those guys uh, doing what they love was, was, was awesome for us as fans. Now, Shep, if, if you were in that situation, what would you have had on the back of your jersey? Would you have gone with a social message? You know, it, it does it is. I was surprised that it wasn't all Black Lives Matter. You know, some guys had justice or, or peace. You know, would, would, it, would it have been important for you to, to participate in that? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think I would have had a different message every game. But, um, you know, most importantly, I, I thought it was, just, it was just very powerful to see, you know, all those guys, especially dating back to the whole Kaepernick um, yeah. taking a knee and just seeing that that was the action as well. But, you know, on my drive in here today, I, I thought, you know, I, I, the image was in my head and I was also thinking how powerful it would be if, you know, the NHL made, you know, took a stance and, and those guys took a knee or, you know, the MLB or, you know. Well, ba- baseball did. They kneeled and that. I think it was the Yankees game. I think that's why Trump said he didn't want to go. Oh, so with the, yeah. you know, just to have the message. And he wasn't invited. Well. So the two, two of those things. Yeah. But, you know, for those, it would be interesting to see, you know, hockey take a stand as well just because that's predominantly a quote-unquote, you know, white sport or whatever the case may be. So, I think that message, because power's in numbers as well, right? I mean, just to see what NASCAR did uh, for Bubba Watson. Right. You know, that, I, I, I can stand behind that. You know, right. To have the entire league move as a unit towards one common goal is, is, is the idea. No, I, I just, I think the, the question of NHL, you know, I feel like that would be good in Canada. I, I just, you know, the NBA has such a reach um, gl- globally, um, but just in this moment of what's happening in the United States to see the NBA come so in support of all the social movement. You know, I I feel like asking, when you saw the Colin Kaepernick, when he was kneeling all those years ago, did that that strike you in that moment as the right thing to do, the courageous thing to do? Did you think this is going to affect the rest of his career? You know what? I'll be quite frank with you. I didn't pay as much attention to, you know, him at that point, at that time, because there's there so many other distractions that I, I didn't pay as much attention. But now, you know, when I start to read up more and, and, and know the history of what was going on there, I should have been. I definitely should have been. I, I also didn't think it would have affected his career as much as, as much as it did. But again, just to go back on all this, sports is something that unify people, right? Unify us as a whole. So I think if each sport, respectively, would take a stand, it would it would be a powerful, powerful message. I agree. Andy, do, do you think that Kaepernick, you know, how's he going to be looked on in history now? As an icon, he already is. I mean, um, he put himself out there. He risked his career to do something that he believed in. And I think a lot of guys weren't willing to take that risk, you know, whether it be not getting paid, whether it be getting cut, 
Um, and you see a lot of these agendas, the owners' agendas, uh, when when they you know they don't show support for this. So it was a bold move. Uh, I think at the time <clears throat> it wasn't well understood. It, it came off as disrespectful to the flag, quote unquote. But what's more disrespectful to the flag than than you know killing your own uh, you know innocent people? Um, and, and to me, him taking a knee. And you know, guys following suit is is what America is about. It's it's standing for things that you believe in and having the freedom to do that. And if it's going to be kneeling peacefully, what's the issue with that? You know, it's yeah. not disrespectful in my eyes to the military, uh, to to Americans. So, question to you guys: Is this something that um, is temporary? Because right now, I think a lot of uh, there's a lot of attention because the world is at a standstill, given you know COVID, the situation, the circumstances that we're in, this whole pandemic. So the world was at a standstill. Now the whole George Floyd experience shed light on this and forced you know the hands mm-hmm. to and the eyes to take a stand. Right now, going forward, do we do these sports teams and leagues? Um, continue to to support the the social justice move, or do they stare away from it? Because again, it's it's co- it's cool now because everything's at a stand. So you have to everybody has to say something um, to protect themselves as well. But going forward, what do we do? It, well, to me, it's interesting because in the in the United States, I think there's only two leagues really that whatever they do will have resonance, and that's the NBA and, and for sure the NFL. I think the NFL for the most part, is going to be business as usual. The thing about the NBA, and we, you kind of said it already, it's so global. It has such a uh, appeal to the rest of the world. And their presentation in that, in that first day and what we're going to see through this entire restart, it speaks so much to this moment. And I actually think it's going to gain momentum. You have the election November the 3rd, and you are seeing a a unified front from the entire sport. And, you know, I, I tweeted but, about but this. You know what? Think about opposing what they did last night, how bad you would look to but oppose that. But not to that. cut you off. No, percent no, 80, 80% of the NBA is people of color, right? So it's to be expected in a sense, right? They're fighting for... 80% of the NBA is fighting for themselves. They're the majority at that point. Now... This I is why the NBA understands that. The I NBA understands and, that. And but more importantly, what's the fan base and the sponsorships? And I think it's it's those groups of people who have to accept, you know, for most for someone like me, I'm like I've been waiting for this to happen. Mm-hmm. But for a lot of the population, especially in the states, how are you going to how are you going to turn on this? Are you going to boycott Google and McDonald's <laughs> and Gatorade. I mean, at this point, it the movement has gone so far, you can't ignore it anymore. I, I agree with you can't ignore it. What scares me is, you know, right now, America is looking inward and, and saying, hey, we've got issues. And it's great. And they're getting all this resonance, right? Yeah. Politically, remember what happened with China. You know, Daryl Morey comes out and says, well, you know, and like and everyone loses their shit because it's about the dollars. It's about the Benjamins at this point. And you're just kind of going. So then there's no point. And, you know, the one great thing about the NBA compared to the NFL, if we're going to do a comparison, 14 guys on a team in the NBA, they have a crap load of influence to the owner because the owner still wants to win in the NFL 
80 guys on a team now, 50 dress, maybe six. Like, I don't even know how many people dress. More of a cog in the wheel. Your career in the NFL, like those guys who play 10 years, the, you know, the Kaepernick, he, like, let's talk about him. His career could have kept going. He was one of those guys who could stay out of trouble, didn't get hit a lot because he's quick. But even if you go back to other quarterbacks like Troy Aikman, Tom Brady, you can have a you can have a skilled and talented player who won't get hurt. But if you're a you're a running back, your career is I think like nine games, <laughs> average nine yeah, games. Yeah. Do you get the re- an NFL? But do you get the resonance? Because we see what Trump. I don't want to bash Trump, but I'm bashing Trump. I don't want to get political. But you see what he did. And he said, and so people are showing up to the game. You know, Cuban said something and said bye to one of his fans. Yeah. And just said that. bye. Yep. But you know what? There's 12 dudes who you're kind of buddies with or 14 dudes. It's different. <laughs> and so what scares me is that football comes in and it's once again partisanship mm-hmm. and political and this whole movement is oh they do like band-aid they don't change anything they just yeah. band-aid but it, well this is this is foundation this is a good foundation yeah. right now i want to see this on a, a pga tour or something like okay. that like, yeah. like now we're making now we're making yeah. waves I, I, I don't disagree with that but pga really who's watching it compared to the appeal of the NBA. You know, every player... Old white Jewish guys. <laughs> hey, I'm not old. <laughs> also, I really don't watch that much PGA, but... I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You know, the thing about the NBA players, and you guys had to feel this as, as professional players, Every basketball player is kind of a, a conglomerate of his own, right? You have so many opportunities beyond the sport itself, and not to mention the pay in the sport is is great too. You know, the football players, who's the – could you even name five real NFL superstars? There's Tom Brady. There, there's obviously incredible players, but in the public's eye, you know, you don't really know them, certainly not the way – that right. you know the basketball yeah, players. Yeah. You know, everybody knows LeBron, Kawhi, James Harden. You know, you're going to know Luka Doncic if, even if you're a casual sports fan. So I, I just – I think that these guys, that league has such a uh, visible platform. And, man, did they – I thought they just used it to, to absolute perfection well, to start it one off. One of the things that they teach you when you get to the league is worrying about your personal brand. Yeah. So, so this is is influencing the general public through who you are and what you stand for. So, you know, it's worrying about what you post on Instagram. It's worrying about what movements you stand behind. It's worried about it's you know you know you're basically putting yourself out there to be portrayed a certain way, and what kind of business that could bring you, what kind of opportunities it can bring you. Uh, so you're right. NBA players are more tailored to. Uh, connecting with the general public, in my opinion, because they've been taught to. Um, and 
alluding back to uh, you know talking about owners and and uh, how the NFL is more of a you know uh, uh, there's more guys on the team. Uh, so if you think back on the Clippers uh, with Donald Sterling, you know oh, he probably had no personal relationships with his players, um, and obviously his his stance on things and who he was as a person did not vibe well with the players. And then he wound up out of oh, it. Yeah. Yep. Um, and if you look $2 at two billion dollars richer, but yes, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Um, so the question is, would that could that happen in the NFL? That's where it, the the breakdown of white I mean, I and think black. It could. I think it could. But if you, I think it could. Like, Roger Goodell is still, in, you know, holding down the league, and he's made some very questionable decisions as Absolutely. as an owner. So, it, I think that speaks volumes as to what kind of control the players and just have. signed a new contract. Hundred percent. Yeah. You know, this is going to where ownership has yes. the power in the mm-hmm. NBA. It's. You know, the players, it's like Kyrie talking about not going in the bubble and the other guy's going, man, I got I got to play. Goodell also did finally offer an apology. Yes. Which, so was, which was incredible to see after yeah. all these years for him to, A, to show that humility, but to Sure, that and I, I don't want to be so uh, cynical. Why the fuck mm-hmm. did Roger Goodell... Apologize, but is he riding the wave? Because it, it, it loses. That's what my Shep point. Said, and is it? A, is it a does it and I guess the question stick? is: Does it matter that he's just riding the wave? Mm-hmm. And he doesn't have to be sincere. It can just be: Hey, we turned a corner, and by its perception, yeah. is that it's sincere? Right. And how important is that? I don't know. That's does it important. Eliminate the root yeah. problem. That still like, is important because not. it sends a message to you know. We also have to teach generations to come. So even if he's not sincere, that message that's put out there teaches you know somebody else or somebody in a younger generation that it's not the right thing right, right. so I, I guess fuck him being not sincere but what can you teach the generations coming up okay great well let, let's let's turn it back into the basketball now and we uh, the Eastern Conference is going to get going you know we didn't see them on on the opening night I, I want to talk to you guys about the Eastern Conference and what you might project. You know, we have eight games in this seeding session, and then we're going to get into a traditional style NBA playoffs. Javon, I know you're looking at the East standings. <laughs> what? Tell me, I'm going to say, tell me what you like. Tell me who you see in the East finals, and maybe something that is a, a projected possible playoff matchup that you might think might be the most competitive in the conferences. So, DG, just before we start, I'm just going to say right now the the layout of the land for the East is Milwaukee versus Orlando, the Raps versus the Nets, Celtics, Sixers, huge, and actually Heat and Pacers. That so, just so you know the number, those are great. Yep. That's a, those are great matchups. Well, certainly those sec- those second two. I mean, a, a Celtics Sixers first round series That's gonna be feels like a war right off right off the top. You know who who do you think is going to end up in the East Finals? Is it Milwaukee gonna, Toronto? Is it one two? It's going to go Milwaukee Toronto, Milwaukee Toronto. But again, I have to go at Toronto. Right now, they have a lot more chemistry going, and I think. You know, dating back to last year, this same core team right now played a lot without Kawhi. Um, played a, a bulk of the season without Kawhi being injured, so I think they're they're more prepared and ready, seasoned um, <clears throat> to play and be successful with, with this group here. Andy, what do you think? 
it's it's hard to root against Toronto just because of the chemistry and what Nick Nurse brings to the table. Um, they all believe in what they have going, and uh, a lot of guys had a lot of time off. I don't think a lot of teams are as close or well gelled as Toronto is. Um, Milwaukee obviously has the talent and, and Giannis, so uh, I think there is going to be a sleeper team that might sneak their way in there. If Philadelphia can get their chemistry together, I think they're a very dangerous team. Uh, I'm never going to root against them. <laughs> uh, uh, but I, I, I firmly believe that Toronto can repeat if uh, they have all pieces firing. Uh, valid opinions. I'll chime in, and I do think the Raptors are the best team in the East, even without Kawhi Leonard. Um, uh, uh, Milwaukee possibly, probably has the best individual player in Antetokounmpo. Um, but I, I loved what I saw, how the Raptors guarded him, especially in those last four games. I mean, they won four games in a row against the Bucks in, in the East Finals last year. Also, I, I do think that the Raptors have a depth that literally no other team in the league has. I mean, it, it, you bring in even Terrence Davis, Chris Boucher, who a year ago, or maybe now a year and a half ago at this time, you, people haven't even heard of them. And now you put them in. Um, Boucher's a very strong defensive player, even though he's he's lean. And You know what's crazy? I actually don't even think these guys are that talented. I just think they they're know. They're system guys. They came they're up system the guys. They yeah. play. Yeah, they, they came up in the Raptors system. So it's a natural thing for exactly. them to the Raptors program, you know? But and, as and, individuals, I don't think they're that big of a talent. And Javon Shepard has just said that they're not talented. Just everyone know that. <laughs> not but, talented. No, no, no. I, I said they're not talented, <laughs> but they're good players, and they play well together. So they, they all understand their strengths and weaknesses right. with this Which team. That, that's effective. what makes them so effective right, right. In, in such a good team. For sure. Interesting. But, the, you know, the NBA is timing and situation. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. And then the, those guys found the right time and the right situation. Well, yeah. I mean, and the Raptors just, they stand out so well in, in, in so many categories. One th- one matchup that I think is going to be, the, that would be the war of the East, even more than Toronto-Milwaukee, is whoever Boston gets... Yeah. Uh, probably even before the East Finals. Like, we're, we're already saying a potential against Philadelphia, though I don't think that's going to happen. I think Philadelphia is going to move up to five, and Indiana is going to slide a little bit because um, Victor Oladipo is not playing in, in this session. Um, but I think, Oh, is that is that true? Okay, now? I saw him talking about not playing. My understanding is that he's not playing. Okay. So I, I think that really hurts Indiana. Um, I think if you, if you have a Toronto-Boston second round series or even if Boston were to slide to four and end up in the second round against Milwaukee um, Boston although I'm not convinced they're a a finals team I think with their coaching and the talent that they They do have have, that that's a that is a tough gritty seven game series and they you know two years ago they made the Eastern Conference Finals and pushed LeBron to a game seven then they bring in Kyrie Irving and and the whole thing falls apart so well, there, there goes Andy's keys. So now that you know uh, Kyrie's out of the way, Kemba's there. Now I'm, I've I've heard some reports um, from sources that Kemba's knee is a little uh, tricky right now, so he might not be at a hundred percent. Who knows? Thank goodness the games are starting. Um, I want to acknowledge our sponsor. That's right, we have a sponsor. On this show, Henderson Brewery, the best beer is the beer you love. Uh, one of the owners, Aiden Weiner, is a, a longtime friend of mine. I even visited him 
in Sunderland, England, when he was at Brewmaster School, and I'm so proud of him for uh, owning his own brewery and also for Henderson Brewery uh, sponsoring our show. I love Food Truck, and I love the UPA, and they're doing a great job, and we're happy to have them. Um, I want to shift gears here because both Javon and Andy have have done another thing that I would have considered an absolute dream as a kid, and that's to play for the Canadian national team at, at the highest levels of, of international basketball. Um, maybe a, a, a statement from both of you, like you were, you were teammates, Andy, your dad was the coach, which, which had to make things even more interesting. Um, maybe talk a little bit ab- about the experience and, and maybe something that stands out or even a country that you travel to where you, have, you found yourself in an unusual situation you had to focus on playing basketball. Chef, mm-hmm. um, you want to lead us off? <laughs> Man, just- the national team was like one of the best experiences in basketball for me uh, to represent Canada on the world stage is just something that every kid dreams of yeah. um, and, and and to do it playing for my, for my dad was a special thing obviously it got kind of hairy at times uh, you know how so trying to distinguish you know where the relationship of father son and, and coach and player you know where that line is drawn and I, sometimes that got blurred it was tough I can't lie um, I'm sure some of the and then throw me in the middle of it <laughs> mind you we played we played the same position too so right, it's right. all yeah yeah um, it was a, did you guys ever come to to, to blows or saying something to each other no, I'm sure there I was think, some underlying yeah, feelings yeah we probably we probably had some times where like <laughs> yeah yeah but no I think we we understood each other and I understood their situation too, right? So and I think a lot of guys did, you know, that were on our team. They were, they were a bit more mature. Mm-hmm. Um, and understand we had we every at the end of the day we all had a common goal, and the common goal was to win, right? We probably weren't the most talented team, um, and you know we took a lot of criticism from. We had a lot of a lot of bad losses, a lot of bad losses, a lot of bad losses. Let, let's put it this way: the the teams that we played internationally have been together in a program since they, you know feeder programs since they were five. Six, seven, uh, and then they played internationally every summer with each other. You know, midseason tournaments, and that's something that Canada just didn't come around to for a long time. Right. So they already had the European style of basketball where they would pass, pass, pass for the extra shot. Their defense was more compact and, and tougher to figure out for the North American style of basketball. And then we were coming from a culture of we. Were, it was a dogfight for us to even get opportunities to to right. play basketball, to go to college, to right. go to university, get a D one scholarship, to go play professionally. Right. So we also came in. Forget that these guys have been seasoned and grown up in a culture of basketball. Mm-hmm. Our mentality was to you know survive survival of the fittest. Right. Like so, so at some. At points, we were playing um, for, for yourself, right. for a better contract, for a yeah. better opportunity, to, for a showcase. Yeah. We just didn't come up in that contract. And it, sorry, in that culture. And it was it was no knock against um, Andy or Leo or Carl English or, or anything like that. Right. We were all trying to figure it out. We were all, all trying to figure we it out. all bought in. It was just, there was so many moving pieces. And if you look at college basketball in the States, it's frantic. It's guys out there trying to get buckets and... You know, trying to get to the next level. When you look at guys who are 16, 17, 18 years old in Europe, they're in a feeder program for club teams yeah. who have professional coaches who are, um, you know, implementing a system and they play the right style of basketball. 
um, and we were just so far behind in that. You know, my so dad, green. my dad so had that green. experience in yeah. Europe, but he was trying to bring that culture here, and he was at the forefront of that. So it was hard to get guys to buy in to understand, um, myself included. You know, I think that being at Syracuse, you had this. Well, I'm the guy, you know, but yeah. you're not. You're not yeah, shit yeah, yeah. until you turn <laughs> professional. And you know, funny like, enough, you know, as, as selfish as, as we may have been at times, mm-hmm. we we all left that closer, absolutely the bigger bond, absolutely. right? Like, I'll call it. Well, losing does that, right? <laughs> but, you, but you, but you, but you, but you grow up and you learn. You, you learn invaluable experiences that made Shep and I successful basketball players in Europe after the fact. After yeah. we had to take our licks, and I feel like. You don't really progress and grow unless you stumble and fall at some point. Yeah, I'm a firm believer sure. in that. Yeah, and I think you know our our growing pains will also be the reason, a part of the reason why you know Canada basketball is going to grow now and and be able to be successful mm-hmm. going forward at some point, right? So that's all a part of the process because now you understand. Okay, it's not just ta- you just don't throw ten guys, five guys onto the court or mm-hmm. put together a team of ten guys, but you have to build a culture. You have to have guys that buy in. You have to, you know, this starts at the grassroots level. So now if we're, if we're comparing to the teams that we're going to be competing against, that's the, that's where the mentality has sure. to shift. And this needs to be started. This, this process, this gold medal success, this Olympic success right. doesn't start, you know, at the world championship, doesn't start at the world qualifiers. This starts at, you know, the grassroots, the peewee level where we need to start, you know, implementing it and encouraging these kids and, and just supporting them, the country as a whole, not For just sure. Canada basketball. You know, our corporate sponsors, our you know, our communities need to step up if we want to see the success that, you know, some of these other countries and not just not just okay, these guys didn't qualify and a couple of write ups in the newspaper saying, you know, why the hell can't we get our guys to play? Throw no. money at it, like hockey does. Exactly. Like, so, to, if you want to, to be on the world map, they have, you have to do it. Totally agree. And you know, here you guys are, ten, twelve years later, doing a podcast together. Yeah. yeah. Didn't see that coming. <laughs> it. It, it, it's <laughs> yeah. interesting um, because I, I had a lot of conversations with your dad, Leo Routens, about this, and and he did talk about how playing for the national team is a showcase. Um, to get yourself a job, if not in the NBA, then certainly a high-paying job in Europe. Mm-hmm. Now we're in a situation in, in 2020 and looking to the 2021 Olympics in Tokyo where there's a lot of Canadian guys in the NBA and certainly top-flight pros in Europe. Um, but it, it feels like we now have a different um, problem in trying to take on the world with with the national team, and that's that a lot of the top Canadian players, it, it seems like they're not necessarily interested in playing for the national team. Like even there was supposed to be a tournament, a, a final last chance qualifying tournament for the 2020 at the time, Tokyo Games that was to take place in Victoria. And, you know, already uh, R.J. Barrett wasn't going to go. Andrew Wiggins was, wasn't going to go. What is it going to take in order for Canada to, to actually field the best team it can you know what i'm okay with those guys not wanting to go if you have if you have guys who are bought in and you have not everybody's going to average 30 points a night especially in an international setting so if you have if you have your studs if you have guys like kelly olenic if you guys have guys like jamal murray um Corey joseph who's been a long time guy he's bought in those guys have pride those guys want to play and represent the country so to me the difference in talent is is really marginal now at this point 
in, in basketball. Really? I really like, believe that. If, from, you're, if you're put in a system. Yeah. Especially at, especially in that school of basketball, that sure. culture of basketball, in those competitions, mm-hmm. marginal. But if, you, if, you, if you look at a guy like um, Bertans, who's playing for Washington now, yeah. he was in Basconia, and he was in, and he won a EuroLeague title. So there's more guys going from Europe to the league now playing a specific role. And I think it's it's very marginal. It's all about statistics. It's uh, it's how you can fit the system. So, to me, if you have NBA guys who want to represent the country, and then you have guys who can play roles, who are who know the international game, who have been in Europe, to me, that's almost better than putting fifteen NBA guys out there who are all ego based. Because you need guys. the guys that are going to commit, and and you don't want to feel like. Um, you're doing them a favor, or sorry, you you don't want to ha- be in a situation where. They feel like they're doing doing you a favor because right. they're not going to exert as much as in or if they're not again. treated the way they want to be. Right. Or, you at know, that point, in those competitions, it's going to be yeah. tough conditions. Yeah. It's but, not but about. I, I mean, it, it, I, it's tough to do the apples and oranges comparisons of Canada to the USA. But you know, LeBron, Carmelo, Dwayne Wade, this was a badge of honor and something they they always wanted to do. Yeah. I can't help but feel like you know what the difference is there is that those guys want to play for their country right so but, but that's also head and shoulders above everybody else but now. this is right. the question so, why don't why why doesn't andrew wiggins want to play for canada have we supported andrew wiggins before andrew wiggins becomes andrew wiggins that that's also a okay. part of it and and that's why i'm asking you how would we what would we have needed to do to support Andrew Wiggins? You know, I remember him being a high school player, and I felt like the fan base who knew of him loved him when he was the number one overall pick, in, you know, in whatever year it was. I thought the Canadian sports audience reacted very favorably and was very happy for no, him. That was I don't know if that's a support said. you mean. The key with that is that when he was the number one pick. Now, leading up to him becoming the number one pick, what did those same people contribute to that? Well, all you know, his we games at Kansas were broadcast in Canada, okay. the, which was which was new at the time. At that point, we need prior to that. Who invested in him? Where was you know where was the investment made? Like you said, Andy, it's, it takes it takes money, right? Mm-hmm. Like our economy is stable enough to, you know, pump and feed. You know, it's an investment, right? Pump and feed into sports. We we feed into other sports. Mm. We we definitely do so. Um, at, you know, we, I mean, look, I, I remember working on a very limited budget for, for, <laughs> for our travel, for our food. Um, and don't get me wrong. Those are some of the best times. You know, we slept in airports. Yeah. We probably took three wow. flights. We stayed, we stayed wow. in a, a two-star hotel in Bormio, Italy, and we had the best time. You know, Those experiences shaped us for sure. But at the same time, you're not going to get high-level NBA guys to come out and stay at two-star hotels. You're just not. Right. So, um, it is about investing. It is about uh, but, money. But, you know, on that same trip, mm-hmm. you had second-round pick, Darko. He didn't pan out too much, but right. Darko Milicic, he was, he was out in the same hotel. Yeah, he was with us. <laughs> he was with us. So, Darko. Barbosa's, the... You know, uh, Carlos Arroyo. Carlos Arroyo's, yeah. the Tiago Spitters, yeah, the... Yeah. Uh, uh, Manu, Manu was out there, you know, really. Like, uh, Manu, Luis Scola, Luis Scola. Basically, so, all, all the all the and these aren't these aren't fly by night NBA players. These guys have well established, some well established, yeah. right? So, I I agree with what you're saying to an extent, mm-hmm. but when you have guys that are willing to commit and and want to, but here's the thing: if you're not if you're not bought in from an early age, 
it has to be more glam at the end of the day. And that's the difference. It has to be more that's different. Uh, uh, aesthetically to come out and play as opposed to wanting to play with your boys. Because to them, it's like... Let's go play some fucking basketball. So then, Drink should, some beers should and, like, the goal be right. should the right. goal be for Canada to be winning right now, or should it be you know another a, a ten year? I, I think it's time plan? now. I think it's time now. I think. But we've had issues. Canada on a sports level has had issues yeah. with this. Danny and I'll remember Owen Hargraves from soccer went and played for Man U, uh-huh. right? Became gave up his Canadian citizenship to go play for the English national team. Greg Rudzinski, top 10 tennis player, became English. Oh, yeah. uh, Lennox Lewis, born in, Kit- you know, brought, born in Jamaica, brought up in Kitchener, pretty much a Canadian cat, went and fought for England. There's this disconnect for Canadians, and then it seems like when the, when the top-tier guys have, and it's kind of like actors, you know, or you know, comedians—they make it big time and they stay down in the United it's States. It's a layer too, and I, I want to yeah. touch on that, but I also want to touch on what you were saying, Andy. I think talent-wise, the time is now. But again, I had a—it was funny. Two summers ago, I had a conversation with one of the young players. I won't even say his name here, and he was, you know, probably our most promising, one of our most promising talents. And and I was asking him, you know, we're just having a conversation. Are you going to play for? national team I believe was the qualifiers at that point and he said Shep I, I'm meeting with them um, I just met with Nick Nurse whatever, but I really don't even know what this is like I don't know what the tournament is I don't even know I don't understand what the hype is I mean, around it yeah. so that being said it's not even his fault like he has no idea what the world qualifiers is right. so. Is he going to dive on? Even if you get him to play, you're not going to be as invested. Is you're not going to be as invested. Is he going to dive on that fifty fifty ball? Is he going to get that loose ball? Right. No, because it's I don't understand what's at stake. Right. So talent wise, yes, I agree. Yeah. But as far as where we are understanding, mm-hmm. and but look, if you have Nick Nurse at the helm, who who has brought Canada to the forefront with the Raptors, and you have. A guys, a group of guys willing to buy in. Now you have an NBA coach. Now you have Steve Nash in the head office. You know, guys who are NBA guys by nature, uh, who who know how to handle the business side of basketball. Um, they're they're gonna they're gonna bring this type of energy where where it's time to win. Now I believe that, and I think that we can. It's just all about the guys that want to go and buy in. Like for example, Nick Nurse called me last summer to come down to play uh, for, the, for the qualifiers in Australia. And the reason why I wasn't bought in was because the team wasn't figured out. Yeah. They, they brought in you know 15 of the, of, of the guys that they wanted to or, or, or 16, 17, just to get an idea. Yeah. To me, that has to happen way, well beforehand, well before any of the exhibition games, well before you give yourself an opportunity to get cut before you even play. Because yeah. There lies in the confusion. Am I going to waste my time? You know, because guys have to go back overseas. Guys have to go into their seasons. You don't want to give up time to recover uh, for something that you're actually making money to do. And mm-hmm. that's your livelihood. Mm-hmm. That's something I struggled with was later in my career worrying about my longevity as a basketball player, uh, giving up my summers to recover to go. And, you know, at the end of the day, I don't even know if you're insured. I don't even know if they're going to cover you for your contract if you get injured. So yeah. that's a huge issue as well. The NBA guys, they're making millions. Yeah. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a tough it's a tough uh it, it, the it, it's very interesting to hear it from the player perspective, mm-hmm. especially for guys like you who have played for the national team. You know, it's really easy for 
people like myself who's been in the media for 20 years and basketball fans who don't really know the intricate nature of it all and, and what you really physically, emotionally have to go through just to make the commitment to do it. And I'm sure, you know, you thought of it and it's nice when Nick Nurse gives you a call. In fairness, he had been added as the coach very late, almost almost last second at all. It's just, you know, Canada hasn't made it to the Olympics in basketball since 1988. It's just... A mind-boggling. No, Sydney. Sydney. You're right. I'm sorry. My mistake. 2000. The team that lost to France. The Steve Nash team that... Uh, but still, 20 years. I fact-checked uh, Danny Gladman. Just so you know. <laughs> just Dan Wong did that. I'm going to have to do my research before these podcasts. Um, but it, it's still just... It just hurts for people who are fans, you know, and certainly you guys as players, and Leo is the coach, to, to have not seen the team play in the Olympics in uh, in such a long time. It's just, uh, it's really difficult to take it. Is there, kind of the last question on this topic, you know, to me and, and talking to Wonger as we were planning for this, the team that just stood out, that came out of nowhere to become a power internationally was Argentina. You guys have already talked about Ginobili, um, Scola. I was at the World Championships, now called the World Cup, in Indianapolis 2002, and all anybody talked about was the Americans finished Mm -hmm. sixth. But I was there. I saw the games. Yugoslavia did end up winning the gold, or they might have been Serbia-Montenegro at at that time. But the team that, that jumped out was this Argentinian team, and sure enough, they would win the Olympic gold two years later in, in 04, I guess, in Athens. Yeah, that's when the U.S. lost to Greece, huh? That's right, yeah. yeah. And Puerto Rico right. in the in earlier. That was the Iverson. Like, Stephon Marbury. Yeah, Duncan, great players, right. but no chemistry. chemistry. And chucking. Right. Just went out there and yeah. chucked. But that's, that's what... You, you don't. That's why you don't take fifteen pros in Canada and mm-hmm. put them on a team because yeah. ne- it won't necessarily yeah. Yeah. equate to success. Well, so what? What would equate to success? It, it can could Canada model itself on what Argentina did, or mm-hmm. you know, Brazil now and then comes in as super competitive. We've seen Spain build a program. You know, twenty years ago they were an afterthought, and now they win the silver medal every so, year. Funny story about that. My teammate, uh, this two years ago in Turkey, Kino Cologne, uh, Spanish national team point guard. He's playing for Valencia out there now. I got the chance to talk to him about playing with guys like Pau Gasol and the national team. And they said their incentive was that they just love being around each other. Mm-hmm. Their incentive was I get to spend two months with my guys that I grew up with. Yeah. And we party and we play basketball. And, and as a basketball player, there's no two more fun things to do. <laughs> so the incentive... Uh, to play and win was obviously cash earnings because uh, Spain funds funds them and they they reward them handsome handsomely and the party at the end of the day yeah for which sure is what they I, for. When, we, when you guys brought up Canada basketball that was the, one of the first things I thought of yeah I remember competing mm-hmm. and I I remember hold on there's certain there's some nights that started like this and I completely wiped out of my head I don't even remember where sure. you know went out. Andy ends up over here. Shep ends up over here. <laughs> yeah. Two days later, before right before the bus is leaving to catch a flight to come back to Canada, yeah. Andy where's appears where's like, guy? "Where's this guy? Where's yeah. this guy?" Yeah. It's like we had extremely fun times, man. Like yeah. we had really good times. Yeah. yeah. So it, even all of that plays into, and I think that's what brought us closer. And just like you're speaking of Argent- Argentina, and and you are your teammate. Mm-hmm. Those are the memories and those are the reasons why guys come together. And those, you know what? You have to because 
you've committed to that time frame. Like, mm-hmm. like you know, two, three, four week mm-hmm. of these are my guys. You're basically in a bubble together. You're basically in a bubble together for you know a three week span. If you don't, if you're the, not committed to that, yeah. to the committed to the process there, uh-huh. it's it's hard to have success. I'll tell you another thing. It goes back to what Shep said uh, about starting at a young feeder program age. Is that those guys don't have to spend as much time in the summer getting ready. Yeah. So Canada wants to have a month and a half of training camp with eight exhibition games. That's asinine for a guy coming off a sixty or eighty-two game season plus maybe playoffs. Right. So those guys only need two, three weeks because they've spent so much time with each other as kids. Yeah. And they have right. familiarity right. and they keep some of the same guys. They don't have too many interchangeable pieces. So I think Canada needs to figure out who their guys are, who they want them to be, and kind of just hit that refresh button every couple months. You know, maybe have meetings, maybe have. Well, it's funny because you guys mentioned you mentioned Corey Joseph and Kelly Olynyk, right, right? And it seems like those two cats are always bought like in. they're bought in. Yeah. But even more than that, it's like, hey, it's they're boys, right. so they, it's like, hey, are you are you going to play? Right. And I always wonder, is that a culture thing? Or is it a you know the culture of Canadian basketball? Because Wiggins is did he ever play you know under sixteen or under eighteen and all that kind of stuff? You know, the he problem- played on the team that was in Mexico City uh, that was aiming for a qualification and lost. I think that must have been twenty fifteen. Oh, okay, or sixteen. Another problem there, just like you you mentioned or you alluded to, um, when you have guys that have committed, you know you know what Corey's going to bring to the table. You know what Kelly's going to bring to the table. These guys play the same role every year. Now, you don't have to beg those guys or pamper them to play. Mm. Now, when you have to pamper, you know, um, or beg a Andrew Wiggins or whomever player to play, you come in thinking, I have to prove that I'm the man. Or, you know, you're asking me to play to lead this team or just be the man on this team. Mm. Again, that's not what we're asking you to do. We're asking you to just contribute to this team what your what your skill set is. But if you have to beg somebody and tell them, like, we need you, that person comes in with a chip, I have to prove. That takes away from the whole team chemistry now because I come in, I, I, I feel like I need to get 10 shots. Or even if that's not what I do, my strength in the NBA isn't to be a scorer. I'm not going to come to... Canada basketball and be be a scorer, go on the, the national level and be a scorer. You still have to stick to what you do, but at the same time, if and it goes it goes far beyond Canada basketball. If I'm asking, if I'm telling you, no, I need you, I need you to come and play. I I come with big balls now. I think okay, I <laughs> yeah. have to do it. But Shep, were you on were you on the U twenty one team that went to uh, Mar del Plata? We won a bronze medal. No. Okay. No. 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 I went. No, I was on the. No. 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 Not that team. Okay. No. Okay. So. So. Uh, the U21 team that we went to uh, Argentina with, and we won, we, we placed and we won bronze medal. That's when Levon went for... That was for when Levon came down. Yeah. Levon Kendall was like the big guy then. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he played at Pittsburgh at the time. Yeah. He had the little quaff. <laughs> Levon's my guy. He's like yeah. one of the best people. Um, but we got a taste. We got a taste of winning. And I think that those guys, once they get that taste, they know what it's like. They know what it feels to to win at that level and that stage. And, and Canada hasn't had enough of that. Yeah, and then there there was uh, 2015 Pan Am Games. You know, the Americans didn't send their best team. Right. But Canada, on home court, won the silver medal. Yeah. They lost to Brazil in the gold medal game. It was, But that was, to me, where Jamal Murray yes, sir. established himself as, I'm the go-to guy right. on this Canadian team. And I, I think you're going to see that in these next 
this next cycle anyway. Yeah. I think Jamal Murray I loved his is going to be the leader that, of that team. Yeah. And he now, wants to play. He wants to play. Yeah. He does. He he's does. a guy that it's, wants it's to play. From, from the get-go. And I think I feel like he's got a relationship with Steve Nash. And it's a nice... Uh, it's nice to see him as we do know who that leader for this this cycle is. And look, there's going to be that tournament in Victoria, 2021. Hopefully, you and I will be there for sure, covering it for sure. And uh, hopefully, Canada will will get into Tokyo. We're, we only have a, a few minutes left, and I want to use it by talking about uh, the Canadian Elite Basketball League, the CEBL. Javon, you and I are working on this with uh, with CBC and with Media Pro Canada and with the league, and uh, it's it's off to a really great start. There, unfortunately, was a a really bad injury to Dwayne Notice, who I think uh, is one of Canada's top young basketball players. Absolutely, um, a big personality, a great guy. Uh, Canadians would know him, and all basketball fans would for being part of that miraculous South Carolina team that made it to the Final Four, maybe. And that must be two, three years ago now. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so out that's of nowhere. That was out of total. I mean, you expect North Carolina every year, but yeah. South Carolina unheralded. Um, so, well, really- it's tough too when your name's Game Cox. <laughs> Go Cox! Well, that's one of the, one of the best. Lots one of, of the Cox. Best you, you don't have to change. They don't have to change their name. They don't have to worry about that. You know. Um, so, uh, a really, really. A heartfelt shout out to Dwayne Notice for that injury, and I think we're all going to see him make a recovery. Um, but one thing for me that did make news in, in the first week of the CEBL, um, after the first weekend, you know, using the Elam ending where you turn off the clock after four minutes in the fourth quarter, and the first team to hit a target score wins the game, which means the game is won on a game winning shot no matter what. And this was also the first live professional sport in Canada since the pandemic hit and it although it was carried on CBC Sports it did not get um, mainstream coverage particularly on TSN and Sportsnet the commissioner uh, Mike Morreale in a tweet kind of pointed the finger at the sports networks for for hey you know this is a pro league in Canada why why didn't you cover it um Javon you you're on the on the CBLB maybe give your thoughts on the league and and what the commissioner was trying to prove there one i think is ironic just based on our our, our last um conversation on Canada basketball and the support that needs to be there this all ties in so i actually i thought it was a very ballsy move by by Mike Morelli. Um, rightfully so, though. Rightfully so. Uh, I was also, you know, I wanted to tweet, I wanted to retweet it, I wanted to like it, but my hands were kind of tied because <laughs> I'm also in a position where, I, you know, I'm I'm getting into the business, the broadcasting business. I don't want to break any bridges yet, burn any bridges yet. Oh, I retweeted it, but <laughs> I did too. You guys are balls. way past, way past worrying about shit. <laughs> this is but, the difference between born in the seventies, sixties. <laughs> uh, thank you very much. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, you know, I think it's needed. Like this is this is Canada's league. You know, made by Canadian. Sorry, made by Canadians for Canadians. So this is Canada's league. It's blasphemous. It's, un- I you know what? Just to see, and again, like the first, what was it? The first live sport to what be played in Canada. Canada. Yeah, in Canada. there is not the, the Canadian Premier League is starting up in August, but the CEBL. This was the first live sports in Canada. So there's People nothing else. There's sports. People absolutely exactly. sports. So there's nothing else going no on by default. Sports. Even right. if you even if you wouldn't have played it in the past. Right. By default, you have to now. Sure. There's nothing else. Yeah. It's live. Yeah. 
And again, and just like, for it to give notoriety to players who are coming out of Canada for younger kids to look up to, um, with 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 uh, you know kind of NBA filler. You know, yeah. it's 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 subsidizes uh, the need for for pro sports and something to look forward to. And, and and I think Canada dropped the ball on that one for sure. Well, there's there's still a couple of weeks left. There's going to be a championship weekend, August the eighth and ninth, and hopefully that you know th- this summer series will get the notoriety and the publicity that it's due. Look, we're uh, somehow we've talked for an hour. Our, our episode one of Jim Rats and Joints. I can't believe how quickly it went past. Um, I want to thank all the listeners who are giving us a shot. We're going to do this every week. We're going to have some social media stuff. We're going to invite some interaction. Um, mostly, we're just going to talk about our lives in basketball. And we're going to do this every week. And hopefully, it'll be entertaining for everyone to listen. Special thanks to producer Dan Wong and Eggplant Studio. Uh, we are just thrilled to do this. So, for Javon Shepard, Andy Routens, I'm Dan Gladman, Danny G, and we are out. See you next week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.